and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus, aware of their inner thoughts, took a little child and put it by his side and said to them, Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For the least among all of you is the greatest. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to come on fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. And we just ask that you would mold and shape our hearts to be like Jesus. Would you author and perfect Jesus' faith in all of our lives, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I can't really believe that you came back after bazookering you a week ago <laughs> and shouting at you for half an hour. <laughs> um, but a week ago, um, if you weren't here, uh, we, we looked at Luke. Just, just to say, if you're new, in November 22, we began uh, a long series through Luke's Gospel. And we're, we're pretty much about halfway at the moment. Uh, so if... You know, if you're jumping into where we're at, we're really passionate about knowing Jesus for who he is, becoming like uh, Jesus' disciples as, as he really desired us to be. And uh, anyway, a week ago, we were looking at Jesus' transfiguration, where he was revealed to them in all his glory. And then we zoomed out and just thought a bit about where are we as a church and our call uh, as a church to 2033 to see God's glory uh, resting, filling uh, as a habitation in not just our lives or church, but in the land where we live. Uh, and that's what we're dreaming for. That's what this church is pointed towards. Uh, and, that, and we were just talking a bit about where are we and what's God doing. And then also zooming out a bit and thinking about the nation and what's God doing in the church and the nation at this time. Sorry, if you don't know us very well, we might do a bit of like an eye or a, really, you're going to say that? Anyway, just ignore those bits. Um, looking at our scripture today, when we sat down and thought, okay, we're preaching on these four seemingly random things, we were thinking, how on earth do we pull all that together coherently? What, what, what Lord are you, are you wanting to say to us, your church, through these passages? And actually, I have to say... Uh, when we started to do that and just sit in the passage, we were astounded at uh, the kindness and the wisdom of what Jesus does and how he teaches through um, 
the next four little paragraphs. And what do we mean by that? Is that we've just had last week, or in the previous bit before, um, a boy was delivered from a demon. You know, pretty amazing. Can you imagine if that was your life, if you had been you know, trapped and held captive the whole of your life by a demon, and then Jesus sets them free and their life is transformed? And we read that everyone is amazed, there's excitement, there's like, wow, about God's kingdom. But what he does here so, so skillfully is he trains the hearts of the disciples uh, through the next couple of paragraphs and through the next couple of um, experiences and as they journey together, he's training their heart. And that's our heart this morning is that we will posture ourselves to be trained by the Lord because he was training his disciples to look more like him and to do the things of his kingdom. And that's what is important. It's the both and. It's the being and the doing. And today we're going to focus on the being, the being more like Jesus, not necessarily the doing like Jesus. And a lot of churches tend to gravitate to one end of the spectrum. At one end of the spectrum is how important heart and character stuff is. And we'll do a lot of discipleship, a lot of teaching, and you know, get everybody's hearts okay. Then sometimes at the other end of the spectrum, our church is really into the signs, wonders, miracles, and all of that stuff. And what's stunning is we've just had the signs, wonders, the glory of the transfiguration, the deliverance of the boy, and Jesus straight away goes into heart, character stuff. And what we find is that these two things are woven together by Jesus magnificently. It's not that heart and character stuff is more important and actually the signs and wonders, well, that's just for, you know, immature or or whatever. Uh, Because in a few moments in chapter 10, Jesus is expanding his ministry team. It's going from 12 to 72. And he's about to send the troops back out to proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons and all of that stuff. But nor is Jesus neglecting the importance of the heart character stuff underpinning and interwoven as he's expanding his ministry team and ultimately preparing his disciples to take over the mission when he ascends to heaven. And so what we find really is these two things woven together by Jesus that were important for them and therefore are important for us. And our title this morning is Jesus' Priority of Training Our Hearts. And if we were to do a short, shorthand, really, that the, the ministry of the kingdom of God is sustained by the heart of the kingdom of God, a heart shaped by the kingdom of God. Or, uh, to put it another way, godly character sustains the longevity and health in the ministry of the kingdom. So we're going to look at how Jesus does it, and then we're going to look at the what Jesus teaches. So how Jesus does it, it's very different, and it's quite hard for us to imagine the culture of the day there. Because what happened uh, as we read is the disciples are following Jesus around. We know that. And when we get to this point, we think they've been together for about two or three years. So day and night, night and day, eating together, um, just wandering around together. And in that day, the rabbinic culture was that you would submit yourself to a rabbi to be trained, to be corrected, um, to be rebuked, 
to be taught, everything. You submit your life to that rabbi. And it's about the rabbi's job is to train the disciple in the ways of him. It was in the day. Now, that's hard for us to understand because there's no real modern-day parallels in our society. If you think, we, we thought about, are monks like that? Not really. And then we were thinking, are the military like that? Potentially. Was the queen like that? How she was trained and formed in her early years to do the work of the monarch later on? Or is it that family? You know, is family the best example where parents are constantly with their children, training them, discipling them? Anyway, either of those metaphors, if they're helpful for you, take hold of it. But it is hard to find such a dedicated and committed bunch of people to a cause as the disciples were to Jesus in those days. Because actually, in our generation and where we live, it's the thing that's highly prized is independent thinking. And yeah, it's all about independence. Go for it yourself. You know, it's not about submitting to one another, being trained by one another. It's completely different. But try and think back to how it was there. I'm just going to add to your final bit, which you missed, is that how this, how this plays out in, in our hearts and minds is, you know, if you, if you look, Jesus, it comes twice in this passage, he rebukes them. Now, I don't know about you, but because we're trained to think independently, if someone rebukes you or me, we often think, don't tell me what to do. Who, you know, we're living in a society where people don't take responsibility and they just blame the other person, even if they're in the wrong. You know, so we just have to sort of try and say or recognize that the world in which the disciples are being formed by Jesus is, is very different to ours and to try and make connections that stir us beyond just being a reflection of our culture in which we find ourselves. Uh, and the other aspect is the difference between the disciples and us in terms of our discipleship. I mean, we know the disciples are probably young men, uh, and there are obviously women following uh, Jesus as well at that time. Uh, but they were doing it night and day, day and night, as Lou just said, uh, journeying together, being together most of the time. Whereas even for us, living in the busy, full-on, you know, 21st century with our homes, our work, our families, our responsibilities, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Even the most committed of us who comes to church on Sunday, who's part of a kingdom family community, our small groups, who then maybe comes to one of the prayer meetings, you're like, we may be giving potentially about three, three and a half hours direct time to the Lord outside of our own maybe personal engagement. And that's not to do down what we're doing, but it's, it's to prod us and remind us and to cause us to ask the questions, how are we doing discipleship? You know, the early church after Pentecost, uh, when they, well, uh, that's what they did. Apostolic teaching, the prayers, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. It says they devoted themselves and I, I'm just finding more and more in my life, I cannot be devoted to lots of things and be full on for Jesus. <laughs> There's a simplicity that is required in the complex 21st century culture that we find ourselves in. That, and we all say, who'd like to live lives of more simplicity? <laughs> 
Well, what that actually means is saying no to most things, to be able to say yes to him and to growing. And uh, I think we just wanted to um, just ask one another, how are we devoted? Because it really pulls not only at our lifestyles that we have chosen to build, but also at our flesh. So has anybody found on a KFC, our small communities, on a KFC night at 6 p.m., every part of your being wants to stay at home and just be on the sofa? Have you ever found that? It's like the last thing in the world, even though I love everybody, even though it's going to be an amazing meeting, every part of my being wants to just send that WhatsApp and say, oh, I'm sorry, it's been such a busy day. Have you found that? It's called the flesh, and we're meant to crucify it. Because have you ever found this where you've actually sacrificed and pushed yourself and gone out to KFC and then at 10 o'clock you crawl into bed and you're like, that was awesome tonight. I love those people. God really met with it. Have you found that? And this is just the kind of things for us to be pushing through and asking ourselves because discipleship is not a course. Discipleship is living life together with Jesus at the center allowing him to sharpen us and allow him in one another to sharpen us to become more and more like him. And I think it's inspiring just how Jesus and the disciples did life together. It's inspiring. The whole uh, rabbinic culture is incredibly inspiring, but incredibly challenging as well because we know, like you guys, how busy life is. You know, we've got four children. It's full on. And I think it just... You know, phones, TV, there's just all the time. But we want to just ask the question of ourselves and of you as a church community. You know, can we be a bit more like that? You know, is it possible in today's society or in, in West Sussex, in this church, could we learn from what Jesus and the disciples did in discipling one another, training one another, or just sitting at the feet of Jesus and allowing him to train us. Like, what can we learn? Because I'd love for us to be uh, growing and becoming more of a discipling community. Now, isn't that what our children, our young people, our young adults, what we all need is actually for, for people to invest in one another and help them to become more like Jesus. So it's just a challenge of the, this morning of what can we learn from that context. And I'd love us all to think about that in your KFCs, in your families, um, just, to, just to see if we can, yeah, just be challenged about that in our lives. So two questions, you ready? These are takeaways. Who am I investing in? Who am I investing in? And that, it requires all of us. Yeah, you could say, where's the discipleship course for this church? Well, it's life together. Who am I investing in? Who am I saying, I'm affirming the godly things that you're into, and I'm with gentleness seeking to call you higher and correct or rebuke the things which are not quite there yet? Like, don't you want that? Like, I, I want to be more like Jesus, and I can't always see it for myself, and maybe I'm not always open enough to the Spirit just to do it once. You know, I need, I need people around me. Who am I investing in, and who am I learning from? Because sometimes it's nice to tell everybody else, isn't it? <laughs> 
But it's vital that all of us are giving away and receiving, investing and learning. And we just can't learn simply from a podcast. <laughs> We're to learn, um, you know, find the people in church, find the people in your KFC who are further on in a certain area and ask them to tell you about it. Where did you learn to worship? I'm bored after 10 minutes. I don't know what's wrong with me. But we've got another 50 to get through in this church. So it's like, you know, like, how did you learn to worship? Tell me about it. You know, how did you develop that in your life? Um, uh, you know, or, or just give it away, invest. Man, when you worship with abandon, it makes me just so impassioned. It just brings me such joy to see, you know, do you know what I mean? And we're doing this to one another. Um, and we're doing it in community, which is how Jesus did it with his disciples. So we're going to go and look at how or what Jesus trained them in in one second. But a question for ourselves as well is, do we welcome the rebuke and the challenge of Jesus in our lives? It's a good question for us all to ask, isn't it? And hopefully the answer is yes. <laughs> but here there's three ways which we think that we can um, just help train our hearts in that. So the first one is James said, learning from, from one another and giving out to others. The other one is submitting your life to scripture. It seems obvious, but don't just pick out the good bits, the favorite bits, the nice bits. You know, constantly, annually or whatever, read the whole Bible and allow the Holy Spirit to challenge us through the whole Bible, not just our favorite passages. And then the third one is just pray and ask the Lord to convict us. You know, let's be people who have soft hearts towards him. And people who, like David in Psalm 51, say, search me, O God, and show me if there's any offensive ways in my life. And let's be people who say, Lord, just show me. I want to be more like you, and I want you to show me areas that don't look like you and help me because I want to become more like you. So let's look through the four different passages and see how or what Jesus trains the disciples in. And let's just posture ourselves almost as if we're there and hear what he's saying to us as well in that. So let's take ourselves back. Jesus has just been transfigured. He's come down. He's delivered uh, the boy that no one else could. And Everyone was amazed at what he was doing, is what verse 43 says. And then Jesus does something completely uncharacteristic for keeping the flow and anointing of a meeting. <laughs> uh, he says, as everyone's amazed, just imagine everybody's just rejoicing, basking, just in the glory of what's going on. Wow, everyone's just, ah. And Jesus says, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. So we caught a tiny fraction of that a minute ago. Can you imagine, like, if Jesus had stood up just after Liam and the guys have been leading us in joy and we're just, like, puncturing the heavenly realms and here we go, here we go, and Jesus stands up and says, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man's going to be betrayed into human hands. <laughs> I don't know if he said it as full on as that. And, and again, that interweaving of heart and character and kingdom atmosphere, kingdom ministry. And, and I think what we took from this is 
Number one, it's all about Jesus. It's not even about the impact, the breakthrough. It's all about him. So stay focused and don't get distracted. Don't be distracted by the triumphs of the kingdom breakthrough. Don't be distracted by, oh, wow, oh, just the stuff. But stay focused. It's all about him and keep focused on him. And, and when he says, let these words sink in, the Son of Man's going to be betrayed into human hands, he, he's doing two things. Number one, he's reminding them of the trajectory. He sets his face to go to Jerusalem. The central point is going to be the crucifixion of Jesus to redeem the whole of humanity. And he's saying the Son of Man's going to be betrayed and that's what's going to kick it off. So secondly, let's not be fickle of heart because in all the, wow, everyone's amazed, the applause and all of that, that's only going to grow. The crowds are going to follow him. They're going to grow and expand and he's going to be welcomed into Jerusalem by everybody chanting his name, Hosanna, to the King of Kings and waving palm leaves and laying their cloaks in front of him. And then seven days later, they're going to be chanting something very different, which is crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus is saying, it's all about me, so stay focused. Stay focused on me. So the next bit is the disciples arguing about who's the greatest. And wouldn't you have loved to have been there? You know, were they saying, well, I'm better because I sat next to Jesus? I'm better because I saw this happen. I'm better because I stayed awake for longer. You know, what was the conversation? But how, how hilarious is that, that they're talking about who is the greatest among them? It's just so, you know, it's funny anyway. But I love what Jesus does here. You know, he, he perceives what's going on and he uses a little child to train them in their thinking. A little child who in Jewish culture had no position no significance, and he just says, whoever welcomes them, welcome me, and whoever is the least is the greatest. I love, he doesn't just rebuke, rebuke, rebuke all the time. He also just kind of does stuff that would probably make the disciples go, whoa, wow, they're least, I'm not. Ah. You know, he plays with their minds. He challenges their thinking um, in how he trains them all the time. And the second heart priority is be humble in heart. And it's so easy for us as humans, let's be honest, to become proud, to puff ourselves up or to be self-conceited or exalting ourselves. It's so easy to let self become the main priority and not Jesus. And the Bible is incredibly clear about pride. Now, I'm going to quote two verses in a minute, but it's all over the Bible, old and new. So the first one is 1 Peter 5, 5. God resists the proud. And then the other one is Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now he was training them. You're going to see great things. It's going to be amazing what happens. But make sure your heart is right. Make sure you're humble of heart. We had a glorious picture just at the start of the nine uh, of children just confounding you know because the nine was on on fire uh, this morning but at nine o'clock it can be a little sleepy when people stumble in anyway one of the kids came in it can't have been more than about three and um 
everyone's sort of like, you know, just sort of waking up and tired. Anyway, this kid grabs one of the banners and he's just like, just like ready to go. And I was thinking, that's actually what we're called to be like when we arrive at church, isn't it? Ah, Jesus, we're so excited about you. So anyway, it was just, it was just confounding the sleepiness of, um, of the adults. Right, the third thing. John, and we'll come back to John at the end. John is offended that a non-disciple of Jesus is casting out demons in Jesus' name. And Jesus says to John in verse 50, Do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. Now, so often the disciples have kind of good intentions, but they're just not Jesus' intentions, or they're just not kingdom intentions. So you can hear John, you can probably hear John saying, I'm like, who on earth does this guy think he is? You know, he's not following you, Jesus. He doesn't come to KFC, doesn't come to church on a Sunday, you know, doesn't do all the things, he doesn't give, you know, all, all of these things. And he's daring to cast out demons. You know, you can see that John is just offended because this guy isn't fitting into the boxes that they would all like. When I was telling you that testimony uh, earlier of this girl who became a Christian 20 minutes before we saw her in the office, if we were lining up, an earthly parade of every Chank member who would be, you know, like the good and the great and the possible new leaders, the lady who led this woman to the Lord, sadly, would probably not make the list in most of our hearts and minds. And yet she is doing the work of Jesus. And, you know, just because, and all of, all of that's going on. So, we can see John is protective of Jesus' ministry But the important lesson here is to avoid control. Jesus sees the bigger picture and is the opposite of being protectionist and having everything lined up. And Jesus says, chill, don't don't tell him to stop because if he's doing the work of, of God, then crack on. Now, it doesn't mean that order and things aren't important. But Jesus is seeing the bigger picture and he's avoiding control and he's avoiding religious thinking that seeks to understand and get everything neat and tidy. One of my favorite quotes, I make no apology of saying it, um, John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, used to say, everything's neat and tidy in the graveyard. (laughs) But things are messy in the children's nursery. And where is the new life? So people, you know, I trip over myself all the time. But let's not trip over uh, and beware and rid ourselves of having a controlling or religious mindset, which isn't kingdom. And Jesus zooms out and he says, John, chill. (laughs) This guy's getting the business done. There's bigger fish to fry. And then the last passage is the Samaritan village. And the Samaritans reject Jesus and they refuse to allow him to stay there whilst he's on his journey to Jerusalem. Now, James and John, bless them, think that they are defending the honor of Jesus here. They think that a rejection of Jesus means a pronouncement of judgment on them. And they're remembering remembering Elijah in 1 Kings 17, where he exposes the rebellious hearts of the people of God by the fire of God's judgment. And so James and John here, it could seem like they're being scriptural, Right? They've seen it done before. They think rejection each, uh, means judgment. That's what their thinking was like. 
but they got it wrong again. They were trying to do the right thing. They were trying to protect Jesus. They were trying to honor Jesus. They were being zealous for the Lord. But Jesus rebuked them. And can't we be like that? In all honesty, can't we, in our pursuit of Jesus, in our pursuit of holiness, in the pursuit of honoring the word of God, become zealous and judgmental? those two things together, and we forget that actually we're called to love the people who are not perhaps where we are right now. So it's just a a good heart reminder that in our passion for the Lord or for us being zealous, let's not become judgmental. I think this is really important, particularly as uh, the Holy Spirit is turning the temperature up in terms of calling us to be devoted to the Lord. Uh, and, and you see it in human societies all the time. So if you think about North Korea or um, what was going on in Germany in the sort of 30s and all of that, uh, the more they were zealous for their nation, the harder the edges came for those who weren't complying. And very sadly, that can characterize church sometimes, can't it? One or two of us may have been in situations where everyone's starting to get really on fire for God, but somewhere along the line, we begin to get really cross and annoyed and judgmental at everybody who's not you know, thinking the same as us or, or all of that. And it's just a challenge for us to be really on fire for God, but to discipline ourselves and ensure that the fruits of the Spirit are being manifested in our lives at the same time patience, those things that we need. Because I don't know about you, I need people's patience and I need the Lord's patience. I want him to be gentle with me and I want us as a community to be utterly on fire for God and yet forgiving and forbearing for those who are slow, sleepy, not with us. Does that make sense? And we're saying this to ourselves. As I, as I sat there in the office just reading through this and pondering on the Lord, I was kind of, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Because I recognize so much of it in my own self. So this is for all of us. I think the final thing we just want to end with is something that really stood out to me in this passage is how many times John in particular gets rebuked or corrected. So it was John who was rebuking the exorcist who was driving out demons in another, in, no, the same name, in Jesus' name, but it wasn't Jesus' followers. It was John. And it was John with James who was ready to call down fire in judgment. And yet, John is the one who calls himself the one, the disciple who Jesus loves. And it really stood out to me that he knew what it was like to be trained, corrected, rebuked by the Lord. But he knew the love of God also. They're not opposites. It can be one of the same thing, that he knew the love of God. He knew the love of Jesus, but he also knew the correction of Jesus. But that didn't make him hard-hearted or it didn't make him walk away. It was part of his love for the Lord. And, you know, Scripture says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And it also said God disciplines the one he loves. And I think when we are secure in the knowledge that we are loved by God, 
it's so much easier to put ourselves at the feet of Jesus and to invite him to correct and rebuke and train us. So I just want to say this morning, let's all be like that. Let's keep our hearts soft towards the Lord. Let's constantly ask for his Holy Spirit to convict, to guide, to train. Let's, when we're reading the scriptures, say, Lord, talk to me. Let's be people like the disciples who love to learn from Jesus, but also were happy to receive his rebuke and his training. So we want to be all about Jesus, staying focused on him. We want to be humble in heart. We want to rid ourselves of any controlling or religious mindset. And we want to, in our zeal, remember his love, all under the banner of the Father's love uh, reigning over us. And it's totally, outrageously gracious of God Because Jesus, even though he's training the disciples and they're wanting to call down fire and they're rebuking this person, they're all getting it wrong. Jesus is about to turn over Project Transformation Planet Earth to this bunch of bozos. (laughs) I mean, it's just so gracious, isn't it? You know, someone was saying to me um, this week, why does Jesus choose the church? as his vehicle for transformation on planet Earth. You know, w- with all the ways that we trip over ourselves, get it wrong, hurt one another, judge each other, da-da-da-da-da. Why does Jesus choose? And I think it's just because of his wonderful, abundant, outrageous grace. And it stops us from taking any of his glory for ourselves because we're just blessed to be counted within, aren't we? <laughs> uh, but it's his grace. Um, We want his glory here, and what's going to steward his glory is if we allow him to form pure, humble, trainable, teachable hearts in all of us, his disciples. We're probably still going to mess mess things up from, well, we will still mess things up from time to time, but we might get a few less things wrong uh, if we allow him to just create a soft, pure heart in all of us. And at the end of the day, Jesus said, himself didn't he blessed are the pure in heart for they're the ones who will see God amen why don't we stand together So can I just set you some homework, Um, which is when you get to KFC this week, Kingdom Family Community, whatever the aim of the meeting is that the leaders set, let's just in our conversation, in the coffee time, in, in the hangout, why don't we just season our conversation with this? I felt the Lord rebuking me in this area. And I'd like to be more like Jesus in this particular aspect. Should we do that? Just all be humble. All just be you know, soft-hearted before the Lord and one another. Grab somebody and say, do you know what? The Lord's really challenging me about, I don't know, getting overly stressed and not trusting him. 
or the Lord's really challenging me on material things at the moment, or the Lord's da-da-da-da-da. Um, is that all right? So the homework is, let's just season our conversation with just having malleable, teachable hearts before the Lord, uh, and we'll do that. I think um, uh, we've had some time. We're just going to pray a simple prayer and then close off today and uh, send you on your way. Uh, when I say we've had some time, we always want